Well, today we're going to talk about sin, and uh, that's not one of those popular topics. Very often, very often people say, well, people never preach about sin anymore. Well, that's not true. We, most every Bible story has something to do with sin. But what they're really saying is we want to talk about other people's sins, not so much our own. And here's the problem. As we progress spiritually, we really do get ahead of some people. The idea that there's no progress in the Christian faith is wrong. We've all grown in our faith over the years. And as we grow, we grow beyond some people who don't get it. And we start to get critical of them. In fact, the sin we're going to talk about today is more prevalent among Christians than non-Christians. And so it's basically a talk about our sin, not so much other people's sins. And this sin is false witness. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, if you turn your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, or whatever you have in front of you, to Acts chapter 6. I think Acts is one of the hardest words to say. It just is a, a tough word to get out, Acts. Acts 6, verses 8 through 15, and we're going to look at the sin of false witness in ourselves. We're not going to decry other people's sins. We're going to look at the sin that is so prevalent among believers. So, we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts, and I am Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher. So what is false witness? I think if you were to go to Bellaterra Mall and ask people what is false witness, what is the commandment, you shall not bear false witness, what does that mean? You'd get a lot of answers all over the place, and a lot of people just would give you a blank look. It's not one of those words we talk about. You could watch TV all week this week, and nobody's going to talk about the sin of false witness. It's not one of those things that is prevalent in people's minds. So what is it? It refers legally to false testimony. Now, I've got a Bible right here, and what do they do? They put your hand on the Bible of the courtroom, and you put your hand up, and you say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, and all that stuff. So, first of all, none of us knows the whole truth. We do the best we can. How many of you know more about the truth than you did 15 years ago? I hope so. We, we, we grow, and we learn, and we, we kind of progress, and we go along. So we never know the whole truth in this world, but Sworn testimony is a big deal. And I have watched courtroom things, and I've often gotten hauled into court because I've had parishioners in court, and I've had to testify for parishioners in court. And it's just amazing how people can testify the exact opposite things. And there's really only one truth. But people often are trying the best they can to make a case for avoiding pain, avoiding punishment, whatever, so saying things in such a way that they won't get in trouble and the lawyers will coach them to do that. And there's all kinds of stuff here and our society, in fact civilization, depends on people telling the truth in court. We, we really do need to be able to do that. We need to be able to trust what people say in their sworn testimony. What do we call it when people don't do that? We call it perjury. When people say this is the truth and then they say something else. Now, this may not seem like a big thing. Most of us aren't going to go to court this week, but lots of people are. And the more believers we have in court, the more people who are feeling a obligation, an obligation to tell the truth, the better. 
because our culture gets corrupt if people tell lies in court. Now, I am translating the minor prophets right now. They're not so minor, it's just short books. I just finished Zechariah for the Passion Translation. And in virtually every one of the minor prophets, they bring up false witness because it causes all kinds of problems. If people lie in court, lie in testimony, lie, you have to sign those things at the bottom of your tax form. You know, you understand that this is a legal data. You check the box and you sign your... It's important that we tell the truth in those situations as best as we possibly can. But it's not just in the courtroom. It's also with gossip. And here's one of the Christian forms of gossip. Well, I'm not gossiping, but I just want to share something about so-and-so for prayer. We're just going to pray about this. Uh, we just, you need to know about this. We're going to pray about it. And so we're going to share something that's negative about that person because we're going to pray. Who's ever, I've heard stuff like that before. People come to you and say, we're just sharing this for prayer. Well, that can be a form of sanctified gossip. In fact, people often hide behind God in order to gossip. This is just for the person's own good, after all. Gossip is not just in break rooms at the workplace. Gossip happens in churches. And the reason it happens is because if you progress spiritually, and I hope everyone here is progressing spiritually, I hope that next year you can be farther along spiritually than you are now. I hope the Lord will show you things you don't know now and will grow accordingly. Who thinks growth is important for believers? We want to grow. But when you grow and other people don't, it's easy to get frustrated with them. We have a lot of people in our church who are spiritually single or they're with people in their lives who are not where they're at spiritually. And that's really challenging for people. It's easy to get frustrated about the people we share our lives with as believers who aren't believers. And we start to think, okay, this person's getting really frustrating. I'm growing. I'm progressing. This person is not. And it's pretty easy to start gossiping about that person. Simplistic demonization. The third one on the list up there. You see this a lot during political season. The demonization of the other person. You know, the, the person I'm running against eats babies, you know, and uh, the, uh, no, no, I don't eat babies. You eat babies with salsa. You know, it goes back and forth. It's just, it's just absolutely terrible. And the stuff we got in our mailboxes was just venomous false witness. Just putting the worst construction on other people possible. Simplistic demonization. Here's what I mean by that. If we want to justify ourselves, it's easy to draw the line between good and evil, between us and them. The truth is, the line between good and evil runs down the middle of everybody. And what we want to do as believers is feed the good side of ourselves and starve the bad side of ourselves. And over time, we want to put that person to death. We want to put the flesh to death. Who thinks that's a process that never stays done? You have a big spiritual breakthrough. You think, I finally put the flesh to death. And then the Lord reminds you of something else to work on. And the gracious thing about the Lord, he, he doesn't give it all to us at once. He gives it just a little bit at a time so we can work through these things. And we need to understand that even with our enemies, the line between evil and good runs down the middle of them too. There's good things about our enemies. I was a Bible camp counselor once, and I was a young guy, and I was very immature, and there was one Bible camp counselor that I could not stand, and she was just a real goody-two-shoes type, and she was always telling me I was doing stuff wrong, 
And there was a pastor up there, and I started complaining about this other Bible camp counselor. And he said, son, let's go for a walk. So we went for a walk. He says, I want you to start naming some good things about this Bible camp counselor. Ah, there's nothing. Can't you name even one? Well, she is really good with her kids. Well, okay. Well, she's a really good worship leader with a guitar at campfire. Well, okay. And she really knows the Bible. Next thing you know, I was coming up with all this list of stuff. The line between good, she was my enemy because she was, you know, we were in conflict. But there's a lot of good things about her. And the next day I saw her differently. Did she still have some of those faults that I thought she had faults? Well, sure, everybody has faults, but people. The wheat and the weeds. There's a story in the Bible about the wheat and the weeds. And the weeds were growing up among the wheat. And the workers asked the master, should we get rid of the weeds? Should we pull them up? He says, no, because if you pull them up, you'll pull up all the good stuff with it. You'll pull up the wheat with it. Let me take care of that during the harvest. Let God sort them out. We're not the people here that are supposed to be sorting things out. And if you marry someone, guess what? They've got some weeds too. If you're a co-worker with someone, they've got some weeds in their field too. But it's not our job to weed each other. It's not our job to do that. It's the Lord's job to do that. And the, the whole idea of, think about it. Picture a, a silver dollar here, a coin. And on one side, it's persistent, and the other side, it's stubborn. If there's someone close to you, and you think that stubbornness just drives me crazy, but they're very persistent at work, and they get stuff done when other people can't, if you weed out the stubbornness, you might just weed out the what? The perseverance. It's not our job to fix people. It's our job to love people and help them feed the good side of themselves and to have grace with other people. Because who wants people to have grace with us? Absolutely, we want people to have grace with us. So I'm talking about the sins that we tend to commit as believers, and one of them is false witness. You might go through the Ten Commandments and say, well, that one's easy, I never, I never lied in court. But there's lots of ways to witness falsely, to say things about people that really aren't true or that are spun in our favor. They're spun in our favor in such a way that makes the other person look bad. Virtue signaling and self-branding. Here's another form of uh, Christian, Christian uh, false witness. Well, that church is so dead, but we have lively praise and worship at our church. Or that church, they don't go deep into the Bible, but we go deep into the Bible because uh, we really go verse by verse. And they just do little little Hallmark card sermons or something like that. And it's, it's pretty easy to signal virtue, to signal that we're doing it right, or that uh, our movement, our denomination is doing it right and they're doing it wrong. I'm not saying don't be discerning. There really is a difference between what we're doing and what the Mormons are doing. There's a really big difference. And we need to understand those differences. And we need to know the truth and falseness. And we need to be able to call those things out, but not in such a way that our ego gets involved because it gets nasty. We want to self-brand. We want to create a virtuous picture of ourselves, often at the expense of other people. And it gets especially bad when it's against other Christians. I was editing a book for our publisher. And there was a young author full of spit and vinegar and he wanted to call out Christians he thought were teaching false stuff. And all through the book, he kept 
you know, call it so-and-so. He called out veggie tales. He, ca he called out uh, everything. And I finally said, I can't work with you. I can't work with you because this is just one venomous going after everybody's mistakes. And who'd want other people to do that to us? False witness is actually really serious because it can cause social or literal death. We're going to see here in the Bible story we're about to look at where it caused literal death. And you can assassinate someone's character in 20 minutes with the right phone calls. You could destroy everything they've built up. It's easy to do. And some of us have been the victims of that. Some of, us have, some of us have been fired because somebody else didn't like what we were doing and falsely accused us of all kinds of things. We've lost jobs, we've lost relationships, and all kinds of things have happened because of that. We don't want to do that to other people. It can cause social or literal death. It's one of the most common sins, especially in churches. Character assassination. I, I had a job once in a nursing home. I was in charge of like lifting people before they had all those lift machines and tying people down and restraining people and breaking up fights. And yes, there are fights in nursing homes and you have to learn how to break them up without hurting the, the residents. And those kind of things are challenging. And I was in a nursing home and I couldn't believe the venom in the, in the break room. Whoever wasn't there in the break room was in trouble because if you're not showing up in the break room, they're talking about you. And it was just, nye, nye, nye. It, was, it was really bad. And it was just downright character assassination. Just really, really bad stuff. So let's look at our Bible story for today. We're going to look at a story of false witness leading to death. Who thinks that's serious? This happened right here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. Who are they debating with? Stephen. Now Stephen had just been hired to work in the kitchen. But he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and he started getting up and speaking and doing acts of power. There's a lot of good things that were happening. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So Stephen was starting to grow out of his role of just working in the kitchen, and he's moving into the role of being a leader in the church and speaking for God. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme, blaspheme Moses and even God. You do that in that setting, in that culture, you put someone at risk. And it's really important not to put people at risk. They roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses, they're committing what? The sin of false witness. This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. 
So Stephen is getting hauled before the court and people are lying about him to the point where this puts him in serious danger. And very soon, a few verses later, they're going to start picking up rocks. And if you don't think this still happens in the world, it does. It does. Stonings are still something that happens in the Middle East and some other places. My wife and I saw a movie. This is not a movie for the faint of heart, but it shows a real stoning of a true story. They don't show the actual stoning, but it's an actress. They show an actress getting stoned. And uh, it's a true story from Iran that happened in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, she got falsely accused of something and they dug a hole and buried her up to her neck and started throwing rocks. And I wouldn't recommend watching it. It's bad. And this is what people did to Stephen. And she was, Soraya was the victim of false witness of a frustrated husband who made up stuff to get rid of her. And that, uh, that can happen. It doesn't have to lead to death. Who thinks this could lead to the loss of a job? Who thinks this could lead if a meddling in-law parent says you really shouldn't be married to so-and-so because he's this, this, and this, or she's that, that, and that? In-laws can break up marriages with false, with false uh, testimony. Uh, who thinks after a divorce sometimes people often turn the kids against the other parent? What do they call that? Alienation syndrome or something like that where that happens? It's just not good at all. And it can happen very, very quickly. The book of Exodus in, 20s, in uh, 2016 says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Folks, this made it into the top 10. Made it into the top 10. We're willing to hit the streets as Christians over some sins that don't make it into the top 10, and I do think we need to protest those things. I happen to be very involved in the pro-life movement. But we get really involved in stuff that didn't make the top 10, and then we skateboard over this one. What's the other one we skateboard over in California? Keeping the Sabbath. Oh, we're too busy. We're way too busy for that. We can't do that. We're busy Californians. We, uh, God wasn't too busy to take a Sabbath, but we are. You know, that's, that's the one that often gets trounced here. I've lived in other places. I've never seen the Sabbath get more trounced than in California. It's just totally optional. We'll go to the streets for these other things, but that's just optional. False witness? Yeah, it's okay to gossip about other churches. It's okay to gossip about other people because it's so tempting. If the enemy wants to destroy a church or a Christian movement, this is the sin he's going to use to do it, to get false witness going and bringing people against each other. Exodus 20, verse 16, one of the commandments. Here's some practicalities. Next time you're tempted to bear false witness, and you will be, you will be tempted to bear false witness because the enemy loves to tempt us. We start talking about someone else and it's easy to start crossing the line. And we can tell where that line is because the, the warning lights on our dashboard start to go off, but we, we cross it anyways, and it's easy to do. Here's the temptation. The enemy tells us that your status will be enhanced if you put this person down. And the exact opposite will happen. Let me explain. If you're talking to someone and that person starts gossiping falsely about someone else, do you think of them as being of higher esteem? Or do you think, I better not turn my back on this person or he or she could do that to me? 
People don't trust gossips. They really don't. Because you got to sleep with one eye open around them. Because who knows what they're going to do. The minute somebody gossips to me, their status doesn't go up. It goes down because I think I can't trust this person. So the devil will tell us your status will go up if you push this person down and you go up. If you, if you try to show the person you're talking to that you're better than this person to elevate your status, what you're really doing with the other person is you're telling the other person, I can't be trusted. So be careful about that. Be really careful about doing that. We also lose track of a biblical truth. When we gossip negatively about someone, we forget the fact that they're made in the image of God, the imago Dei. Everybody's made in the image of God. And it's easy for the enemy to say, well, good people are made in the image of God, but those people know they're not. And guess what? People who voted differently than us are made in the image of God. People who root for different football teams are made in the image of God. I had a hard time with that, with Packer fans. I've overcome that because I've learned to have grace for Packer fans in general. You're a Bears fan. You know exactly what I mean, Karen. We, just, we have to struggle with that inner sin. But uh, it's, it's challenging not to cross that line and to start seeing the other person as not made in the image of God. Who thinks that in, on cable news we have lots of people doing nothing but going after each other and no longer seeing each other as made in the image of God? That is not good for our country. It is not. I'm not saying pretend like everyone else is great. I'm not saying agree with people who disagree with you. I'm not saying don't tell the truth. I'm not saying don't debate. I'm saying remember you're, dating, you're debating with someone who's made in the image of God. Even if they disagree with you. And it's okay to disagree. But we can disagree without hatred and without coming down on those people. A lot of gossip is what that person is really trying to, to do is this. What they really think is that you don't know what other people think and neither do I. My wife and I have been married for 40 years. I have no idea how her brain works. It, it, it surprises me every day. I go, whoa, where did that come from? Because she's just a different person. We've been married 40 years and I don't understand how she thinks. And my guess is she doesn't understand how I think much either. Although you might, I don't know. It's a, no, she's shaking her head. You can be with someone 40 years and not knowing what they're thinking. What Wendy is thinking is usually a great mystery to me. The idea that some politician on the other end of the spectrum or some false teacher or some person that you know what they're really trying to do. I, I just, with presidents, people do this too. Oh, what Trump's really trying to do is wreck the country. Or what Biden's really doing is he's really just scheming to, to blow the whole thing up. Or you don't know what they're thinking. You really don't. Who here has trouble knowing what you're thinking sometimes? I get these little emails. We want to give you. We want you to take a poll. Ooh, I have to figure out what I think. You know, it's it's not that easy sometimes to know exactly what we think. Let alone to be able to. Oh, what that person's really trying to do is this. You don't know that. You really don't. And a lot of gossip contains. Oh, I know what that person's really trying to do. And we don't. Corruption. This is what I call the sin that happens once you're successful. Please hear me. God wants us to be successful and effective. God wants us to live in abundance. Why? Because then we can be generous. And when we're generous, we are like, we're like God. We get close to God when we're generous. God wants us to do well. You guys went on a mission trip because you want these people to do better. We want the world to do better. 
God is a good parent. He doesn't want people to be just in horrible poverty so they depend on him. What, what parent would say that? What parent would say, yeah, I'm going to make sure my kids barely squeak by so they depend on me? No, a good parent wants their children to, to thrive. But there is a temptation that comes with success and a temptation that comes with that wealth. And what is that? It's called corruption. It's really easy to get corrupt when you have success. Unsuccessful people can't be corrupt. They can be insidious, they can be liars, they can be thieves, they can be all kinds of things, but they can't be corrupt. Corruption comes with misusing power and misusing wealth. And the minute we have some success in our lives, it's really tempting to get corrupt and to feather our nests. How hard is it to maintain your reputation? Really hard. You can spend a lifetime building up a reputation like growing a tree and someone can cut it down in 30 seconds. It takes a long time to build up a good reputation. You've got to tell the truth a lot of times when it's hard for you. You've got to come through for people when you've told them you would. To be dependable. To show up for things. To actually live out certain qualities that you espouse. That's hard to do. The last thing we need is someone chopping it down in one conversation. So, do unto others as you would have others do unto us. Why? We don't want people doing that to us, so let's not do that to someone else. Please hear me. That doesn't mean you can't disagree. It doesn't mean you can't debate. It doesn't mean you... But we should do it with honor and with respect. I love it in martial arts. I've never done martial arts. I'm going to save that for my 70s, I think. But... Uh, I love it when they bow to each other before they engage in the, the conflict. There's something about respecting the other person as a worthy opponent that just brings out some kind of honor in that whole thing. There's something to that. The golden rule, do unto others as uh, we would have them do unto us. Matthew 7, verse 12. I'm going to invite the, the worship team up here in just a second. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is Jesus, by the way, so it's important. This is the essence of all that is taught by the Law and the Prophets. When Jesus says this is the essence to all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets, this whole book, got to pay attention to that. Never do to someone else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. And when I start to cross that line of... Uh, uh, conversation about someone else and getting real negative about that person that's where I have to say no I wouldn't want that person to cross that line with me does that person have a right to disagree with me yes they do does that person have a right to tell me they disagree yes they do does that person have a right to demonize me and ruin my reputation absolutely not because you can find something bad about anybody people including me there's nobody in this room that doesn't have something in our lives that could ruin our reputation something we've done, something we've said, something about the way we think, there's something inside of each of us that could ruin our reputation. Do we want someone digging around for it? No, we don't. We want to put that to death so that we can be filled with the Spirit and grow the good side of us. That's what we want to do. And it takes time. And we need patience to do that. That's the golden rule. Martin Luther. I had to memorize this for Lutheran Confirmation. It has to do with what Martin Luther called the Eighth Commandment, which is, you shall not bear false witness. We're going to read this out loud. One, two, three. 
you shall not give false testimony against your neighbors. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray them, slander them, or hurt their reputations, speak well of them, and explain everything in the kindest way. Wouldn't it be great if everyone in America had to memorize that in school? That would change things. I'm a big proponent of the Ten Commandments in schools, by the way. The Ten Commandments are universal. They're not just Christian. They're universal. They're good ways for human beings to be in the world. And to have kids stand up and recite this once a week would be a really good thing for, for our nation. And I love this quote. I don't know who, who sent it to me, but I put it out there, and some of you have seen it. When you finally learn that a person's behavior, behavior has more to do with their internal struggle than it ever did with you, you learn grace. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Lord. Uh, we love to talk about other people's sins, and it's very uncomfortable to talk about our own. And each of us, Lord, has done some brinkmanship with that line between talking about people and uh, doing things to them, saying things about them, that we wouldn't want them to say about us. Help us to be courageous, Lord, and uh, stand for the truth, but do it in a Christian way. To do it in a way that shows love of enemy and love of neighbor and honoring you. This doesn't mean, Lord, to agree with everybody, to be a doormat. This means to uh, engage this culture honorably. Lord, I pray for the reputations of everybody in this room. I pray, Lord, we would help each other build up our reputations. I pray, Lord, that uh, when someone comes against us with uh, gossip, which they will this week, happens all the time, we can take them aside like that pastor took me aside at Bible camp and say, let's, let's look for some good things in that person. I don't remember the pastor's name, Lord. don't remember the counselor's name either, but that was life-changing for me. So I give you thanks for him that you listen to your spirit. Help us, Lord, to uh, operate virtuously when we agree, when we disagree. Lord, you put this in the top ten list for a reason. You know we needed to see it. We pray for a time, Lord, where we can teach these things in our schools. It would help, it would bless our country. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
about you, but I have people in my life that's hard to deal with. <laughs> How many of you have people in your life that's hard to deal with? We all do. So we're going to do another little exercise. Kim inspired me. Close your eyes and picture that person, or maybe those people. I don't know. Maybe it's more than one. Picture them in your mind. Feel all the feels that you have for them. Feel all the feels. Now look at them as God's beloved child. Look at them in God's image. Look at them with God's love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion. Look, look through God's eyes at them. That person is God's beloved son or daughter. That's God's crown jewel. That's God's friend. That's God's beloved. And next time you think about that person, think about all that. You see them the next time coming towards you. Remind yourself that they are God's child. They were made in his image. That he, they are beloved by God. That they were offered the same grace and mercy as you and I. That they were offered the same forgiveness. The same compassion. That you and I were forgiven. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for making each one of us in your image. Lord, help us to see others in your image. Just as you view us, help us to view them in that image. With love and compassion, with kindness and grace, with mercy and forgiveness. Lord, we are so thankful that you view us that way because I know there's days that I am not worthy. And so thank you for your love and your compassion, Lord, for each one of us. Lord, help us this week to walk as you walk and talk as you talk. Help us to see those around us in your image, even when it's really hard. Help us to treat people with respect and kindness because they are made in your image, no matter what they have done or are doing. Help us to be strong, Lord, to put up boundaries as well so that they cannot hurt our hearts or our minds or our emotions. Lord, I thank you for this day to be able to soak in you, to lean into you, to hear your word, to praise and worship you, and just to spend time with you. Father, bless this time as we walk out those doors to be your hands and feet, 
to do your will. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Enjoy yourselves and come on back next Sunday. And stay and finish the donuts if you can. Oh, yeah, meet the donuts. You still like it. It wasn't good. Oh, no, it wasn't. You know, all four of the teachers. <laughs> 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 <